Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. What would be a good definition of greed? Uh, greed is probably wanting more than you probably could afford. What would be a good definition of lust? Um, thinking wrongly of the opposite sex. A sexual desire of something that's probably not uh, um, not appropriate. What's a good definition of envy? Uh, caring more or thinking more about what somebody else has than what you have yourself and what you do with it. Uh, what do you think God thinks about lust? Oh, he didn't like it. Like it. Doesn't like it at all. Can you name the seven deadly sins? Gluttony, lust, um, greed, anger, lying, envy, adultery, nope, pride, sloth. What do you think God thinks about those things? I think God made this up so we can have a better world and we can all help each other out and be happy. I like it. I like it. Just to say that woman was interesting uh, on the street. Uh, she was the one last week that said, I never sin. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, whatever. Uh, I, I made a statement to the worship team before we came out. I read a blog, I think it was last week, that said this, and I think it's pretty powerful. It said, uh, the only people who ever complain when a preacher preaches about sin are Christians. <clears throat> think about that just a moment. The only people that ever complain about a preacher preaching about sin are Christians. And the reason is we don't like our dirt exposed. How many of you uh, did your homework this week? Uh, all right, a few of you raised your hand, all right. How many of you, for you it was difficult? I've heard some stories that uh, some of the things that we ask you to do that you actually did, it was painful. Like one of the things that I asked you to do uh, dealing with greed was to go home and find something that meant something to you and give it away. Uh, how many of you gave something away this week? Yeah, several people. I see several people uh, raising their hands. We'll also ask you as we were dealing with the, the concept of pride to let somebody else go in front of you in the line. How many of you did that this week? Yeah? Isn't that an odd feeling when you're not, you're not racing them to the door? Uh, you know, you see them coming into the restaurant, you know it's going to make you 20 minutes. Like You run to the door faster than them. I hope you did your homework this week. Well, um, we're going to talk about some other areas of dirt this morning. Let me Let me tell you some statistics that I think are interesting. We're going to deal specifically with lust and envy this morning. This, this is interesting to me, though. It says, uh, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons predict that 17% of all Americans will have had cosmetic surgery by 2015. Now, that doesn't sound like that much until you start understanding the sheer numbers that that implicates uh, for us. Let me, let me break it down for you this way. In the last eight years, check out the growth of plastic surgery in America. In the year 2000, there were 7,400,000 uh, plastic surgeries that took place. In 2006, there were 10,984,000 plastic surgeries that took place. In 2007, there was 11,795,000. And in 2015, they are estimating that there will be over 55 million plastic surgeries done in America. 
Why? Why are we willing to pay such a high price and go through such pain to, to go through plastic surgery? Because we don't like blemishes and we don't like flaws. We like to cover up. And so if, if we can't, you know, if we have the money and the means and the wherewithal, and a lot of times we don't, and we still we just go take the credit card and put it on the credit card, we will go get plastic surgery because we're trying to cover up what we perceive as a flaw in our physical body and what we don't understand. A lot of times it has nothing to do with our physical body. I already started meddling, didn't I? Well, the truth we're trying to cover up something inside of us that we think is all about the outside when it's really about the, the inside. That's why if we can't afford a plastic surgery, what we'll do is instead of going and laying the money down and having plastic surgery, if we can't afford to fix our smile, we'll put on a fake smile and just try to fake it until we make it, right? And so we try to cover up. We don't like to be exposed. But what we need to go back and learn is what Adam and Eve learned in Genesis. From very early on, they learned this truth. And I want you to grasp this truth this, this morning, and that is this. What you cover, God cannot cleanse. And what you hide, God cannot heal. We need to learn that. We need to understand that God's Word is powerful in our lives. The Bible describes the Word as a cleansing Word. Another way that it's told to us is this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says this. God means what He says. What He says goes. His powerful Word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's Word. We can't get away from it no matter what. We cannot get away from God's Word. And His Word declares that there is dirt in our lives, and it doesn't matter how we try to cover it up, how we try to hide it, how we try to avoid it. The truth is very simple for our lives this morning. There is dirt, and God wants to expose the dirt of our lives. Now, last week, as I mentioned, we talked about pride and greed. This week, I want us to look at two more areas that I've already mentioned. A lot of times, lust and envy are connected. The perfect example of that is found in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter 11. The account from David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says this, it says, and it came to pass at the return of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem, and it came to pass at eventide that David arose from off his bed and the woman uh, and walked out upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof, roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not that Bathsheba, which I kind of find interesting. Y'all don't get it, but it's ironic to me that she was... Never mind. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was... For she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. This passage of Scripture proves that David, even though he was one of the, our spiritual heroes, David himself dealt with lust and envy in his life. See, we need to understand. Let me just say it very bluntly this morning. 
our society has a problem with lust. I know that's a news flash for you, and you probably didn't understand that. Come on, you'd have to be living under a rock not to know that our, 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 our society is completely and totally saturated with lust. That's why movie stars and musicians have so... They're, they're very blunt and open about it. For instance, uh, the band Aero, uh, Aerosmith. Anybody know who Aerosmith is? Uh, you, you know, all right, all the old folks said, yeah, and all the young folks that have played Guitar Hero know who Aerosmith is. One of the band members said this. This is a quote from him. He says, lust is what I live for. It's what I got into the band for. Little girls in the front row. That's pretty sick, isn't it? Our, our society is filled with lust. And I can give you some statistics that will prove that, that I find shocking. For instance, one of the statistics teaches us this. That the age that most individuals in America have their first pornographic encounter on the internet or through print or through television or through movies is the age 11. That bothers me because I have a son that is getting ready to turn 11 in about a week. And to understand that his first encounter, if I'm not careful and if I'm not on guard and if I'm not uh, surrounding him and making sure that he's watching what he should watch and not what he should watch, he can have his first pornographic encounter by the age of 11. We also discover that there are 2.5 billion, with a B, Pornographic emails sent every day. Let that penetrate your mind. 42.7% of all internet users view pornographic material. 90% of all 8 to 16 year olds have viewed pornographic material online. 20% of men, all men, access pornographic material at work. And just so you won't think that lust is just a man's problem, let me just tell you this morning that twice as many women visit sexual chat rooms than men. And 9.4 million women access adult websites every month. And one out of three visitors to all adult websites are women. Our society has a problem with lust. But just as bad or maybe worse is the fact that our, that not only does our society have a lust problem, our churches have a lust problem. Boy, it's awful quiet in here. I'm telling the absolute truth. When you discover that 40%, 47% of all Christians say that pornographic material is a problem at home, we have a lust problem in the church. When you discover that 53% of all promise keeper men, you know who promise keepers are, those that said they'll keep themselves pure only except for their wife and they'll keep the promises that they made when they got married. 53% of all promise keeper men viewed pornographic material last week. 34% of all church-going women intentionally visited pornographic websites this week. Intentionally. 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornographic material. It's an epidemic in our churches. The problem is, is that nobody knows it because we're good at hiding it. It's dirt. They, one, one survey found out that 60% of all women who submitted their answers to this survey said that they're having significant struggles with lust. And 40% admitted to being involved in sexual sin in the past year. These are church women. 20% of all church-going female participants, participants in this survey struggle with looking at pornography on an ongoing basis. Lust is out of control. 
I had a face-to-face encounter that, that let me kind of comprehend, and it's kind of comical, but let me comprehend, comprehend just how far lust is out of control. I remember when I was serving as the campus pastor at Southwestern, you got to know a little bit of my history. I grew up in church camps, and I found out in church camps that one of the, the uh, events that you need to be really proficient at is ping pong. And so I love ping pong. If you've ever watched me play ping pong, you understand that ping pong is a contact sport. It's not some pansy waist, little uh, easy going. Man, this is full on UFC. I'm going to smash the ball into your face. Ping pong is a man's sport. And I love to play it and I'll beat you all if you give me a chance. I might have to play you all night, but at some point I'm going to beat you. And I love ping pong. So as I was serving as campus pastor at Southwestern, they had a ping pong table down in the, the student uh, area that we played in. And we'd go down every, every day and play at lunch. And so I decided, you know, one of the advantages I need is I need a really good ping pong paddle. Rather than playing with one of these cheapo $3 Walmart specials, I need a really good ping pong paddle. And I decided, I looked at Walmart, they didn't have one. I decided, you know, the thing I ought to do at work one day, I said, you know, i got a few minutes. I'll do an internet search for a ping pong paddle the problem was as soon as i hit search all these images started popping up on my computer that i could not have you ever had that happen where you can't get them to stop i had to shut my whole computer down and and i realized after seeing what i saw that we have a lust problem in fact i turned my computer off and i ran to the business controller's office that has control over the computer and i went and said listen let me tell you what happened so you won't think that i got a problem i don't have i was looking for a ping pong paddle <laughs> lust is out of control lust is defined as an inordinate craving for the pleasures of the body an inordinate craving it gets out of control and we want, the, the, this lust overtakes us and we want pleasures that, that we think are out there. David had a lust problem. He faced lust, but not only did he face lust, he fell to lust. And my question to this, you this morning is, or, or statement to you this morning is this, is that we can examine what happened to David and learn some lessons so that we won't fall to lust. I know it's hard not to follow lust in this society and in the environment we live in, but you can make it. So we need to learn from David. Why did David fall to lust? Three things. The first one is this, is he was where he wasn't supposed to be. The Bible said that it was the time of the year that kings were supposed to be at battle. It's probably the first instance we have in David's life where as king he didn't go to war when he was supposed to. He was not supposed to be on his balcony. He was supposed to be on the battlefield. He wasn't supposed to be flipping channels when nobody else was in the room. He wasn't supposed to be on the internet watching or going to sites that he wasn't supposed to be going to. He wasn't supposed to be watching the movie he was watching. He was where he was not supposed to be. And it caused him to fall into lust. Let me tell you something this morning. We've discovered in our financial peace classes, I think I already heard somebody say this before, but Dave Ramsey reminded us that there are three rules in real estate. You know what those rules are? Location, location, location. Let me just say to you this morning that there are three rules to remaining pure in your walk with God. You know what it is? Location, location, location. If you are where you are supposed to be, you won't see what you're not supposed to see. See, the the problem is, is that when you're in the wrong place, the devil will make sure that you're in the wrong place at the right 
lifetime. Isn't that interesting? You might not have seen anything all week long that causes you to lust, but when you're in the wrong place, the devil makes sure that you're there at the right time, that you get that glimpse, that you get that snippet that you didn't expect to see, but because you were in the wrong place. Some of you are not where you're supposed to be, and because you're watching and going and viewing and visiting things that you should not visit, view, go, watch, you find yourself struggling with lust. The second thing that caused David to fall was this. He didn't turn away. Think about that a second. He didn't turn the channel. He didn't hit the little X on the window to close it down. He made a decision to keep looking. Do you understand that David could have made a conscious decision to turn and walk off that balcony? He didn't have to stay out there with his mouth open and his eyes bugged out looking at what he saw. But he made a decision to stay there. You only have a very few moments to make the right decision. Just a fleeting moment. Will I continue to look or will I turn away? That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, listen to how he says it. I wish I could get the same intensity that he wrote it with to Timothy. He says this, flee! Another word, that the Greek word there means to escape. There's this intensity in that that says if you don't run for your life at that very moment, you won't remain pure. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who, are call, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. David didn't turn away. I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament where Joseph had an instance where he turned and he fled. You remember that story? Potiphar's wife wanted him so bad. Go read the story again. She wanted him so bad. There are a lot of names we could call her, but we won't. She wanted him so bad that she actually reached out and grabbed him. But Joseph was so intent on getting away that, that he turned. And what did he do? He ran. So fast that it ripped his clothes. There's that intensity. David needed to hear Jesus' teaching on lust. I'll tell you this morning that Jesus is very blunt and brutal about lust. We find his teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 27 through 30. It says this. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he, this is what he said. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I want you to look there in that verse of Scripture. Early on it says, I tell you that anyone who looks... And that Greek word there that Jesus looks for or uses for looks is in the present participle, which means this. It's a look that keeps looking and looking and looking and looking. It wasn't a quick glance and then I turn away. No, I, I'm going to continue to look. The, the, the illustration, and I may have used it before, bear with me if I have, that I use with young people all the time. It's like when you walk, you go, go get in your car and you, you pull out of your driveway and your next door neighbor's wearing uh, a two-piece skimpy bikini to mow her yard and you drive by her and notice. That's temptation, but when you drive around the block to get another look, 
That's what Jesus is talking about. When you keep looking. and That's when you undress somebody with your eyes at work when nobody knows you're looking. That, that's when you when you're on the beach and somebody walks in and you continue to dwell. It's the it's the bud I think it's the Bud Light commercial where the woman's eating at the dinner table and she looks out the window and it says and now uh, standard with all Bud Light is X-ray vision and there's the guy there with the jackhammer. Have y'all seen that one? It's the young cut guy. That's she undresses him with her eyes. Unfortunately, somebody else comes into the picture and he's not quite so glamorous, but. But that's what, in essence, Jesus is talking about. That we don't go around the block to look again. Jesus is basically saying this. Adultery is in the look. Adultery is not just a physical activity. In fact, the truth is, is that long before the physical activity takes place, there is a look that takes place that draws you in. David couldn't turn away or chose not to turn away. And it led him to fall. The third reason David fell is because he had no accountability. He sent, he sent someone to go get Bathsheba. Why didn't that person say, wait a minute, David, you don't need to do that. Why wasn't somebody man enough to stand up to him and say, no, that's wrong, David, and I won't be a party to that. I'm not going to go. I understand that he was the king. But Nathan came along later and said, you've sinned because you've sinned with Bathsheba. And I want you to understand, we're going to talk more about this next month, that you need somebody in your life that can call sin what it is after you've sinned and look you square in the eye and say, you're sinning and you need to repent. You need somebody like that in your life. But isn't it better to have somebody in your life that can confront you before you sin? Why should we have to come behind you and pick up the, all the broken pieces and all the devastation that you've caused and all the hurt that's taken place and all the, the, the ripple effect of sin in your life? Wouldn't it be better if we had somebody in our life that before we ever looked, before we ever went to the website, before we ever went to the movie, that before we ever went to lunch with that person, somebody could step up in our life and say, No, that's wrong. David needed somebody in his life that would hold him accountable. We're going to get very specific about that in our homework. I want this to sink in. How strong are you? David is described as a man after God's own heart. David is described as someone who is so in, so in tune with God that he sat on the backside of the desert and wrote all those powerful psalms that you love so much. David wrote them. How strong was he? How strong are you? If David fell, you will fall. Well, that won't happen to me. It will happen to you. I beg to differ. There was a, a man that I know that was born into a preacher's household, was in church all of his life, was very active in church. He sung in the choir. He was a featured soloist on many occasions. He was viewed as an elder in the church, basically. He taught Sunday school classes when they needed somebody to step in. I spent hours and hours and hours with him. He was one of my very best friends. We spent uh, inordinate time together doing activities that we love to do. Never had a clue anything was going on. But about 30 years, I guess it was almost 30 years after he got married to his wife, had a perfect family, great wife, Christian home, two uh, sons, two children in his home. Everything from the outside looked perfect. But about a couple years ago, found out that he had been addicted to online pornography from the time he was about 11 years old. It can happen to you. 
He's lost everything now. He lost his wife. They've ended up in divorce. He, out of online pornographic material, he went into a, a chat room, contacted a woman in another state, began to visit her on business trips, began to spend time with her, left his wife for her, tried to break it off, couldn't break it off, ended up losing his entire family. One son will have nothing to do with him. He lost his whole family, his life, his reputation, his relationship with God. He's not in church. He's not having a relationship. It can happen to you. And let me say this to you this morning. It will happen to you if you don't build safeguards in your life. You're not strong enough. None of us are. The devil knows that. Paul dressed lust in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-8. through 8. He said this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called for uh, us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. God's will and desire for you is holiness and purity in your life. A wealthy couple decided that they needed a chauffeur. So they got together and they began to interview people. And they interviewed four men. And the way they did it is they took these four men and they stood them up high on a balcony in their very expensive home overlooking the driveway. And sitting in the driveway was their luxury car. And the, the lady would ask the chauffeurs, these four individuals, there was a brick wall that ran the length of their driveway. And they said, she asked him, how close do you think you can get to this wall without doing damage to the wall or to the car? And the first man that interviewed said, Man, I think I can get uh, about a foot from that wall and not damage the car or the wall. And she said, all right, thank you very much. The next one came in and he said, I think I can get within three inches of this wall and not touch the car, not touch the wall, the wall and, and do it with skill and expertise. The third one came in and she said, how close... Do you think you get it? And he said, man, I'm great at this stuff. I can put the car right up against the wall and never nick it, never touch the paint, no scratches, nothing. And she said, thank you very much. Let him go. The fourth one came in, and he's overlooking this same wall. And she says, how close do you think you can get to this wall? This was his statement. He said, I would try to stay as far away from that wall as I possibly could. She hired him on the spot. And this is the, the truth here. He understood that this true skill in driving is not based so much on the ability to steer the car to a narrow miss as the, is the ability to stay far away and have a safe margin between you and the damaging effects of an, a wall. I want to say this to you this morning. I don't want to know how close you can get. I don't want to see how close you can walk that line. Is it okay for me to do this? Is it not okay for me to do this? I, if I'm not real careful, I'll follow up. I want to see how far away from internet pornography you can stay. I want to see how far away you can stay from, away from those pay-per-view channels. I want to see how far away you can stay away from those movies on the TV stations that you have in your home. I want to see how far you can stay away from the junk that you can rent in Blockbuster. I want to see how far you can stay away from that lady's cubicle in your office. I want to see how far away from that private lunch with that man that you've been developing this I want to see how far away you can stay young people I want to see how far away you can stay from petting I want to see how far away you can stay from the back seat of the car I want you to have a wide margin 
of safety. Lust is a problem in our society. But there's a second area of dirt that I want to talk about this morning called envy. There was this man driving a Yugo. Anybody remember the Yugo? They, they, about $20, I think you could buy a Yugo. I don't know, probably not that cheap, but it was, they were junk. But there's this man driving a Yugo, and he pulls up to this uh, stoplight, and next to him, this rich man sitting there in a brand new Rolls Royce with the window down. So the Yugo driver rolls his window down, and he's admiring this car, and finally he decides to holler at the, 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 the man, and he, and he hollers at him, Hey, that's a cool car! And the guy doesn't even hardly respond, just gives him the nod, you know, the nod. Yeah, you understand the nod. And, and so he, he says, man, that's a nice car. And he said, he said, do you have a phone in that car? Because I have a phone in my Yugo. And, and the guy in the Rolls Royce just kind of, it just annoys him that the guy would even have the, the nerve to talk to him. He says, yeah, I have a phone in my Rolls Royce. And he goes about his business. They're still sitting there. And the Yugo driver says, man, that's awesome. Do you have a refrigerator in that car? Because I've got a refrigerator in the back seat of my Yugo. And, and I, I think it would be cool if you had a refrigerator. And the, and the guy's getting really annoyed now. And he says, I, that's a stupid question. This is a Rolls Royce. I have a refrigerator in the back seat of my car. And so the, the guy in the Yugo goes, well, how about a TV? i got a TV in my Yugo. Do you have a TV in your Rolls Royce? The guy says, man, you're an idiot. I have a TV in the back seat of the Rolls Royce. It's a luxury car, man. And he's really getting annoyed. And right before the light switches, the Yugo driver says, man, that car is so cool. Do you have a bed in the back seat of your Rolls Royce? Because I have a bed in the back seat of my Yugo. And the Rolls Royce driver looks over, or the owner looks over at the guy with the Yugo and rolls his window up and speeds off and goes straight to the dealership and says, I want a bed put in my Rolls Royce and I want it by tomorrow. And so he orders the bed and he goes back in the morning and they have outfitted this Rolls Royce with this unbelievable bed. It's got brass trim, silk sheets. I mean, it is the finest bed he's ever seen in his life. It fits perfectly. So he jumps in his car and he begins to drive around the city looking for the Yugo driver. He looks all day long and can't find him. And finally, late in the evening, he pulls up next to the Yugo. He finds him parked out in a parking lot. He pulls up right next to him. And he notices that the windows are all fogged up in the Yugo. And he has made up his mind. I'm going to tell him about the bed. So he goes and he knocks on the window of the Yugo. No response. So he knocks louder until finally the window of the Yugo rolls down. And the guy sticks his head out and he's, he's just dripping wet. And the Rolls Royce driver says, or owner says, I now have a bed in the back seat of my Rolls Royce. And the owner that you go just really put off says, Man, you got me out of the shower to tell me that? All right, so why, why are we so driven by envy? Why do those of us that have everything want everything else? Why are we so driven? Envy is defined as the desire for others' traits, status, abilities, or situation. One man said this, envy grieves over a neighbor's good. Envy's been called the meanest of the sins. See, greed wants more. And that's bad enough. But envy doesn't just want more. Envy wants yours. Whatever you've got, I want it. And my question is, is why would David, who was the king and had, who had everything that he could possibly want, including now, listen, including eight wives at least, and numerous concubines. 
why would he be so driven by envy that it would cause him to commit adultery and then to make matters worse, then murder? Why was he so driven by envy? Well, Steve, that doesn't happen anymore. Envy wouldn't lead anybody anymore to do those kind of things. That was way back in the Old Testament. That's an exaggerated example, really. Then that's why young people have been shot on the street for tennis shoes. That's why people have been broken into their house and happen to be there and people pull a trigger and kill folks over a TV that you can go down to Best Buy and buy for three, four hundred dollars. Or even if it's a thousand dollars, who cares? The exchange is not good. That's why a young man that a lot of us know can, found himself at a car wash and people would take his life for a used car. But we wouldn't let envy do that to us. Oh, come on now. I know the truth is that most of you sitting in this room would never pull the trigger on a gun over envy. But you'd pull the trigger on your tongue. We will badmouth people that have what we, what we want. We will ridicule. We will criticize. We will complain about. We haven't pulled the trigger on the gun, but we will pull the trigger on that instantly and never think twice. That's why pastors, and I'm one so I can talk about us, that's why pastors will badmouth the churches down the street, the big ones, because they have what we want. And so we feel like if we can ridicule them and make them seem smaller than they really are, they must be compromising. Their, their, their house is full. Envy. Envy leads us to do things we wouldn't normally do. We badmouth people when we have no business. Man, I'm preaching hard. Are you all right this morning? Only Christians complain when we talk about sin. Envy. And yet the Scripture teaches us very clearly that we should not be overtaken by envy for material things. It's point, point blank. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, Do not want anything that belongs to someone else. Anything. Cars, houses, shoes, clothes, wife, husband, job, popularity, fame, prestige. Do not want anything that belongs to someone else. Don't want anyone's house, wife, or husband, slaves, oxen, donkey, or anything else. But it doesn't just stop there. We're also clearly shown through Scripture that we should not be overtaken by envy for power or for spiritual things. We discover that in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Miriam and Aaron, who were Moses' sister and brother, were envious over the fact that God spoke to Moses and used Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says this, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't He also spoken through us? Can you hear the envy there? They wanted the prestige. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 8 where Simon the sorcerer comes into contact with Peter and John. You remember what was happening? Peter and John were laying their hands on people and people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Simon the sorcerer sees the power that they're exhibiting and offers them money. Give me your power. Because he had always held everybody in fear. All the community was afraid of him. So he thought if I can get the power they have, I can still have power over all these people. He was envious. And he received open rebuke because of it. See, the Bible teaches us this in James chapter 3 verse 16. tells us what happens when we're envious. It says this, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Let that sink in. There you will find 
disorder and every evil practice. Miriam and Aaron found this out. You remember the story when they were envious of Moses. What happened? Miriam contracted leprosy. Disorder filled her life instantly. She became a reject and an outcast in society because of what? Envy. And what I want to say to you this morning is that envy will cause you to have disorder in your life and it will cause every evil practice to explode in your life. So how do we avoid envy? Three things real quickly. Number one, we break envy by becoming content. There's a word you don't hear very often. We all want to hang around people that are driven and ambitious, but the Bible says to become content. Proverbs chapter 40, 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We like to quote Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Y'all know that. You want to quote it? Anybody want to quote that one? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We love that verse of Scripture. The problem is we fail to back up two verses because two verses, the writer is talking about learning how to become content in all things. He says it like this. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in want. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. In other words, the strength of Christ is allocated in your life when you learn to be content. That's when the strength is exposed in your life, when you can be without or you can be blessed. See, there's another powerful portion of Scripture that I love that says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you or never will I forsake you. In other words, even when you don't have everything that you want, you have everything that you need. You have Him. Be content. The second thing that leads us to breaking envy in our life is I'm going to steal an idea that I heard another preacher that by the name of T.D. Jakes. Are you ready for this one? It's powerful. You need to understand that favor ain't fair. I don't know why you got the blessing that I wanted. That's not my job. I don't know why you got the sports car that I wanted so bad. That's not my job. I don't know why you got the swimming pool that I wanted in my backyard. That's not my job. Favor ain't fair. The Bible declares that every good gift comes from heaven above. It is not my job to figure out where those gifts fall. They fall where they may. That's God's job. My job is to understand that I have been blessed beyond measure. And if I would just go into my house and count my blessings and name them one by one, I would figure out, even if I didn't get the swimming pool, I've still been blessed. It might not be fair. But that's all right. Favor ain't fair. I just got to be satisfied and take stock and understand that I have been blessed beyond measure. The third thing that causes us to break envy in our life is this. We must celebrate the prosperity of others. Romans chapter 12 verse 15 says this. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears with those when they're down. That's what our attitude should be like. When you get blessed, I shouldn't be envious. I should rejoice with you. I should be happy when you get the new car. I should be happy when you get the big old house. I should be happy when you got the jewelry that I've been waiting for. 
Do you remember the story of Jonathan? One of my favorite stories. This is how our attitude should be. In first, in second Samuel chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the Bible says this. You remember Saul's the king. Jonathan is his son. Jonathan is the next in line to be the next king. He's a prince. But David comes on the scene. And Saul says this. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? Listen. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan's own dad looks at him square in the eyes and said, as long as David is alive, you will never be king. Jonathan could have been envious. Jonathan could have held a grudge. In fact, Jonathan could have bought into Saul's plan and helped Saul kill him. But Jonathan refused to have envy in his life. So just 11 verses later, listen to Jonathan's attitude. He goes to David and he says, Go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord between me be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan refused to be envious of David, let me ask you a question this morning. When's the last time you celebrated when somebody got what you wanted? Let me get really down into your mess and say this. When was the last time you celebrated when somebody got the raise that you wanted? When was the last time you clapped for them when they got the promotion? Now that it means that you're going to have to wait an entire another year to be up for a promotion. When was the last time you, you clapped when they came to you and said, I just got a huge raise, knowing in the back of your mind that it means you can't get the raise now because that money's already been allocated and you're out of the running. When was the last time you celebrated somebody else's prosperity? Or do you do like this? I've done this. You see the 24-year-old driving in the brand new 300 with 26 inch rims and they're gorgeous and it I know y'all don't care nothing about the rims but I do and and it's and it's pulled up next to you and, you, and he, he rolls the window down and he's about 20 I mean he, he's got to be are he's even legal to drive and in the back of your mind you go drug dealer gotta be just gotta be gotta be or do you sit there and go man roll the window down and say Dude, man, that's a sweet car, and I'm so glad you got that car. I've always wanted that car, but I'm glad you got that car. Do you do that? We don't do that. Because, you know why? Because our society teaches us not to do that. Our society says, I've got to step on him to get what I want. I want to tell you this morning that envy will cause your bones to rot. Your envy will eat your life away. Some of you are so envious of what everybody else has that you can't enjoy what you've got. Envy will steal years off of your life. Envy will keep you from being able to enjoy what God has blessed you with. And not only that, envy will cause you to be somebody that nobody wants to be friends with. If you've got a friend that always is envious of what God has blessed you with, do you want to hang around them? When they leave your house after God has blessed you with what you've got and they leave your house and somebody calls you on the phone and said, you would never believe what so-and-so just said about you. As soon as they left your house, they called me on the cell phone and said, can you believe that they had the audacity to spend that much money on such and such? They're envious and they run their mouth. Do you want to be their friend anymore? Envy kills us. So, I told you last week that we're going to get very practical. Here we go. Get your pen and paper out if you don't have it already. I'm getting ready to list your homework. Are you ready? 
Come on, I know we're not in school right now. School is out of session for just a couple more weeks, but we're going to do homework, all right? This is going to be tough for some of you. Here you are, dealing with lust. Here are three things that I, I want you to do. One, do some of this. Number one, show your spouse or your accountability partner your internet history. Come on now. This is where the rubber meets the road. Be willing to show somebody what you've been looking at. Number two, if you're struggling with lust, particularly on the internet, then I want you to sign up for one of these. SafeEyes.com, X3Watch.com, CovenantEyes.com, or TripleXChurch.com. Because what those sites will do is they will assign you, you can choose an accountability partner, and every time you go on the internet and you visit a site you shouldn't be watching, it will send your accountability partner an email and say, they just went to this site, you need to call them. All right, we can preach about lust all day long. Unless we're willing to, something, to do something to defeat lust, it will not be defeated. I'm calling you to extreme measures. Extreme circumstances call for extreme measures. Some of you have been battling internet pornography for years. This will break this in your life. It could be a woman. It could be a man. It's all about the same now. Some of you need to sign up for this stuff. If you've got children in your house, you need to get internet filters and lock that thing down. If you've got cable in your life, in your home, where you get pay-per-view channels, you need to lock that thing down. If you go to the Blockbuster and rent movies, you need to be careful about what you rent and bring into your house. The third thing, use the computer only when others are in the room. Now that just deals with the internet. Some of you are going to have to deal with what you look at on a regular basis. Some of you are going to have to make, put safeguards in your life for what you watch on TV and in movies. But those are some very practical steps because we know that internet pornography is at epidemic levels. I want to encourage you this morning to ex- take extreme steps. Now, how do we deal with lim- envy? Here are your two for envy. I want you, as couples, as individuals, as families, this is going to seem odd, but I want you to... To do it, especially if you, if you have children, because I think it's good for you. I want you to take about 15 minutes and sit down in your house and go around and ask your family members to name the blessings of God in your life. And I want you to write them down. That way, when your little seven-year-old comes up and says, but they got such and such and I never get anything, you can hold the list up and say, here's 45 items that we said that God placed. That's when your husband comes whining about the fact that he doesn't have a big screen TV. I just got one, by the way, for my birthday, and I'm really happy about it. But don't be envious of me. Don't be hating now. But that way, when your husband comes in and he's got a two-man boat and his neighbor just got a 45-foot yacht, pulls up in the yard and he comes in and whining, I don't have a boat like he's got a boat. You can hold up the paper that said, we were thankful for the two-man boat until you saw the neighbor's boat. Come on now. This will break envy in your life. The second thing I want you to do, and this is going to take some of you, this is going to be hard for some of you. I want you to get some pen and paper out and send a note of congratulations to someone who got something you wanted. Like all you guys that wanted the big screen TV. I got one this week. I want you to write me a note and say, man, I'm so thankful that Steve got it. Then I'll invite you over and we'll watch football together, right? Come on now. I know that sounds corny, but it would do some of you good to write somebody at your work a note that said, I am so thankful that you got the raise that you got because it's going to bless your family and it's going to help you to do things you weren't able to do. I, I, I'm so thankful you got the, the promotion and I think you're going to do an outstanding job. You're going to be a great leader for this organization. That will break the power of envy 
in your life. I want you to stand with me this morning. Dirt. We cannot, God will not heal what we hide. He will not cleanse what we cover up. You know, the truth is this morning, I know y'all praised real hard this morning. I know you worshiped your, your, your face off this morning. I understand that. But did you know that we do that? And even though we do that, a lot of you are still dealing with these issues. Why? Because you can't shout this stuff out. You know, we're taught you can shout everything out. Shout any stain out. But you can come in here and shout all you want. The Word is what cleanses you. And I want the Word to penetrate your heart this morning and help you to understand you've got to take some extreme steps to break this stuff off your life. This is what I want you to do. I want husband and wives to get together. To get together quickly. Move. If you're not standing next to your husband and wife. Get together. We're going to pray. I want the women to pray for the men. The men pray for the women. Now, if you're single. I want you to find somebody of the same sex. Young men, I want you to find a man. Young ladies, I want you to find a lady. And we are going to pray for one another. And we're going to pray this specifically. God, break the power of lust. In our marriages. Lust is a silent assassin of marriages. It will destroy your marriage. Come on, move. If, if, you're, if you're single, you're by yourself, find somebody to pray with quickly. We're going to pray that God will break lust off of our lives. Hey, listen, the devil knows that most of you, he can't get you to go out and do drugs and kill somebody and, and, and smoke yourself to death and, and drink yourself to death and all that stuff. But the one area he knows, I, I, listen, the one area that's left for most of us is lust. And He will kill us with lust if we're not careful. So we need to pray this thing off of one another. And then we're going to pray for envy as well as we do this because there are a lot of times that go hand in hand. Father, right now, I pray. I pray for my spouse. And we pray for each other right now, Father, that lust will be broken in our lives. God, that we would not look and keep looking. Father, that we would be holy in our look. We would make a covenant with our eyes because we understand that what takes what, what we take in in our eyes goes right into our spirit. It is the window to our soul. God, it goes right into our soul. And so, Father, this morning we break the power of lust and we have eyes only for those that we are in covenant with. Father, for everyone that's single in the room this morning, we declare over them that lust will be broken in their life. They will not be devastated by the power of lust. I come against internet pornography. I come against movies. I come against uh, printed materials. Father, in any way, shape, or form that would cause us to fall into lust, that would destroy our lives and our marriages and our relationships. God, we come against those things in the name and in the power and in the strength of Jesus. We understand we can't do this on our own. So we need your help, oh God. God, I pray that we would take dramatic and drastic steps. I pray that we would find accountability partners that can cause us to turn away when we need to turn away. Father, we also come against the spirit of envy. God, we declare this morning that we do not want envy to overtake us. 
God, help us instead to have the attitude of Jonathan when we see others that are blessed with what we wanted. Let us be happy for them. When they dance, let us dance right alongside them. When they're promoted, let us congratulate them in all sincerity. God, when they have a, receive a blessing in their life, God, I pray that we would be so thrilled for them that we could rejoice with them. God, break the power of envy off of our life so that our bones won't rot. In Jesus' name, make us thankful. God, when I stop and I count the blessings of my life, I can't help but be content. When I think about the family that you've given me, when I think about the children that you've given me, when I think about the home that you've given me, when I think about the health that you've given me, when I think about the clothes that you've allowed me to have to protect my body, when I think about the food that you place on my, my table, when I think about the friends that you've placed in my life, when I think about the church that you've blessed me with, when I think about all the things that you've done for me, I can't help but stop and shout and praise your name and give you glory. And when I count my blessings and I name them one by one, I'm amazed and I'm at awe. I don't deserve it. Your favor is not fair. But I'm thankful that your favor rests upon my life and on the lives of the people under the sound of my voice. And I give you praise and I give you glory and I give you honor. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at the person you're praying with right now. And I want you to tell them, stay pure. Come on, tell them again, stay pure. God's called you to purity. Say this, stay as far away as you can get. Now I want you to do this. I want you to find a few people as you're on your way out this morning. And I want you to look at them square and eye. Say, man, you look so good when you look clean. You're free to go this morning. Thank you for coming to Passion Church. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 